This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, January 19th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, local taxes finalized in an unusual year. Eyes to ears with Kayla Beatman. Listening club roots down. And a mountain weather forecast. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners performed a once-annual formality this week as it approved 2024 tax collection levels for the special districts, hospitals, schools, fire stations, and so on, within its borders. So this is just the routine, I guess, um, step that we need to take to certify all the Malawis for all the taxing entities within San Miguel County. That's County Finance Director Ramona Rummel introducing the vote according to business as usual. But it's been an unusual year for property taxes in Colorado. The legacy of the pandemic real estate boom caused a historic jump in home valuations and lawmakers scrambled to pass legislation that would cushion the cost of living spike in Colorado. They finally reached consensus during a special legislative session in November, passing bills which lowered the tax valuation rate and limited some local tax collections. County Manager Mike Bordonia notes that process has pushed back the tax collection timeline. This is obviously later in the year than most years. The legislature gave uh, all taxing entities additional time because of the last minute changes in legislation um, that recalculated total assessed valuation for all cities and counties around the state. The issue played out on a local level as well, recalls Bordonia. I know that the commissioners had proffered a letter uh, to all of our taxing districts asking them to, if they could, uh, forego some of their additional revenue capture um, with the goal of trying to provide tax relief to our citizens who many of whom are on fixed incomes or are very going to be very pinched as the cost of living continues to increase. In the end, only a handful of the two dozen taxing districts in the county have opted to reduce their collections per commissioner advice. Among those who acted to leave some money in homeowner pocketbooks were the town of Telluride, the Wilkinson Library, the Dolores School District, and the town of Mountain Village Owners Association, though some reductions were quite minimal. The county followed its own advice and declined to collect on potential revenue, points out Special Projects Director Jared Briggs. This document actually shows the $1.2 million that the county has foregone in this current tax year. Um, There was uh, a few other minor contributions uh, or reductions of uh, property tax values from other organizations. All things considered, the cost of owning a property in the county and paying taxes on said property continues to rise, especially with the passage of some new property taxes on the 2023 ballot. Overall, there, there are 20 million new dollars being collected within our county. Um, by taxing jurisdictions. Now, those are for bonds. Those include the increase for the 
uh, fire district, the increase for the hospital district, and the increase for um, the school district, right? So those were pretty significant numbers because those were tax authorizations that were requested. While the cost of living is increasing in San Miguel County, so is the cost of providing services to residents, whether it be medical care or childhood education, fire protection or library books. 2024 will see more money go towards those ends. The commissioners approved the tax collections for area districts unanimously. In the first Eyes to Ears of 2024, Telluride High School's Caleb Eatman dives into the art of the written word and brings listeners along on the story of their life. Have a listen. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to Eyes to Ears, a radio show where your host, now renamed to Caleb Eatman, visits local art galleries to find art pieces to then describe to you. This one was from the AHA Gallery, where they were displaying leather book covers, and the piece I chose was a cover for A Christmas Carol, the leather cover itself by Jennifer Bucci. I apologize in advance for potentially mispronouncing your name. The leather is thick, bumpy, and black, with indentations to form the visage of certain designs spanning from the front to the back of the cover. Such is so for the potential mountain range that peaks as high as the center of the cover, with geometry of triangular and rectangular variety spreading from the peak downwards. At the top of the mountain is a large circle of gold followed by an orb of yellow and a spinning black angular circle made of triangle-like shapes. The yellow orb shines three crimson lights across the leather past the rectangles and triangles of blue, effectively turning them yellow. These shapes of blue float from the back to the front of the cover like meandering clouds. I know that the name change is a little bit sudden, but I do hope that you can accept this as who I am. For this is the still the same host, the same voice and talking to you, the same person visiting all these art galleries, the same person writing the notes and the script for this show. I just would like to go by Caleb rather than Bella. But that has been Eyes to Ears on Kodo. My name is Kayla Beatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This Monday, the Wilkinson Public Library holds its monthly listening club. It's like a book club, but for albums. Tom Nading will lead the January club with his work of choice, Jimmy Smith's 1972 album, Root Down. KOTO News spoke with Nading about his selection. One, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, five. One, two, one, two. A big one? One. 
I don't know. What are you asking me for? <laughs> I'm kind of doing two albums. Um, the main album that we're going to talk about is Root Down Live by Jimmy Smith. But then there's another piece of music, the Root Down EP right, by the Beastie Boys that kind of uh, connects we'd to like it. To do, um, uh, could I have your attention out there a minute, please? God damn it. It's a live album recorded in 1972. We're do, at uh, the Bombay Bicycle uh, Club in Los Angeles, which uh, sounds like an awesome name of a nightclub. I would have liked to have hung out there in 1972, but I wasn't around. Jimmy Smith was already on the scene. Um, he'd been a recording artist with Blue Note in New York since the late 50s. And he was really known around, in particular, the Harlem jazz clubs where there were B3 organs, which is the instrument that he played. He was known for playing these long sets in nightclubs, a lot of jamming, a lot of improvisation, and everything that he recorded was very much bebop, traditional jazz, didn't really vary that much. In the 60s, he signed with uh, Verve, which is a different record label on the West Coast, um, started exposing him to some different music, but he kind of responded by like going straight towards string arrangements, bigger bands, less away from the jamming. And then the story of this record Verve had contracted with him to do a live recording at this club. And when the date came up, he his regular band was unavailable. And because of that, he ended up just picking up a band around the LA area. And they brought these really different stylistic influences to the table, very different from the players he was playing with in New York. And the result is one of the first real funk jazz recordings. These guys were really heavily um, influenced by James Brown and the JBs. So there's wah-wah guitar, there's congas, there's a lot more of kind of a funk improvisation. What ended up happening is that this live recording was Jimmy Smith's uh, most commercially successful album. Um, it's just one of the pieces of music he's most known for, and it was a tremendous influence on acid jazz and really the fusion of funk, soul, R&B, um, and later hip-hop into jazz. Headhunters by Herbie Hancock came out the following year, and Herbie Hancock has said that that would not have ever been made without Jimmy Smith um, Root Down Live. And then you fast forward to 1994, 22 years after this was recorded and released, and this is one of the critical samples used by the Beastie Boys on a very, you know, well-known kind of groundbreaking hip-hop hit. Um, so it's really interesting to me that this album really influenced um, two major movements of music at totally different times. So what we're going to do at the Listening Club is listen to Jimmy Smith talk about the story of that record, and then we'll also listen to the Root Down EP, listen to how that sample um, came into hip-hop and became something totally new. Down, 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 down
musically there have been like certain inflection points over time um, where something is released, somebody gets an idea, somebody writes a song. Um, and I think within certain genres and for certain musicians, this album is an inflection point. And what's cool about it is that it wasn't even supposed to happen this way. It's these random musicians that are available who came to play with Jimmy Smith that night. And what's really cool is you can hear the audience. It's a, a proper nightclub. You can hear glasses. People are getting up and shouting. It's not a sit-down audience. Like this is this was a fun night by everybody, and you can feel that energy. Tom Nading will lead the January Listening Club on Route Down on Monday, January 22nd at 6 p.m. at the Telluride Music Company. More information is available at telluridelibrary.org. One of the Sheridan Arts Foundation's beloved events is back. It's $1 Community Night at the Sheridan Opera House. This year's concert will feature local favorite, Joint Point. The $1 Community Night concert will take place on Saturday, January 20th. Tickets are available at the door. The show starts at 9 p.m. The Town of Mountain Village is looking for vendors for its 2024 Market on the Plaza. Market on the Plaza is held on Wednesdays in the Summer and Heritage Plaza from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. June 12th through September 11th, 2024. Individuals and businesses are encouraged to apply to showcase their locally made and or grown goods and wares. Applications to be a vendor at Market on the Plaza are due by February 1st. Applications are available at marketontheplaza.com. The Colorado Department of Transportation will be conducting work on Highway 90 between Natarita and Paradox next week. Crews will perform pothole patching and surface treatment between mile markers 12 and 34. Motorists can expect one-lane alternating traffic with reduced speeds and up to 15-minute delays. CDOT plans to begin the work on Monday, January 22nd and run through Friday, January 26th, weather permitting. Work will run from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. The U.S. Forest Service has withdrawn a special use authorization for the Uinta Basin Railway. The railway would have carried waxy crude oil from eastern Utah through Colorado to refineries in the Gulf of Mexico. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Carolyn Giannis of Aspen Public Radio has more. 12 miles of the railway's Utah route would have passed through the Ashley National Forest. And in 2022, the forest granted a special use permit based on an environmental impact statement as required by the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA. But in August, a federal court overturned approval for the railway, saying the environmental impact statement was significantly deficient and committed multiple NEPA violations. 
The judge also wrote that it did not appropriately consider the risks of increased oil train traffic along the Colorado River, especially in places like Glenwood Canyon. And last month, the court declined to hear an appeal to the case. The Ashley National Forest announced that because its issuance of the permit was based on the vacated statement, it will be withdrawing its approval. In a statement, Colorado's U.S. Senator Michael Bennett and Representative Joe Neguse, both Democrats, called the decision a victory for the Colorado River and the communities that rely on it. Caroline Yanez, Aspen Public Radio News. The 2024 legislative session has begun in Colorado. KDNK's Haddison Rensbury spoke with Julie McCluskey, who represents District 13. The Democrat from Dillon is also Speaker of the Colorado House of Representatives, and she outlined her priorities for the current session. I want to talk about a couple of the highlights that we see on the horizon. I'm particularly excited to lead with our investments that we'll be making in public education this year. For more than 14 years, we have been implementing something called the budget stabilization factor or the negative factor. It has been an accounting method where we have taken money from our public schools to help balance the budget. But no more. We are delivering on our promise to teachers and school staff and students and bringing another $140 million to our public school programs, making sure that our teachers earn a living wage in the communities where they're working and ensuring that our classrooms stay small, that we're making investments in facilities and technology and certainly doing all we can to give every child a world-class, high-quality public education. We're also continuing to tackle the affordability crisis, the rising cost of living that we see in our state, whether we're talking about housing or health care or child care. The costs of paying for yourself and your family are rising. And it's something I hear about regularly in my district. We will continue to work on housing inventory with a number of bills that will help drive housing development in smart, thoughtful, and creative ways. Um, We're committed to supporting our renters and helping them stay in their housing units, supporting their efforts to be able to have fair representation, whether it's through an eviction or another proceeding, but we're excited to help our renters as well. I'm also excited to say that on the healthcare front, while we've made some great progress in helping to keep health insurance affordable on the Western Slope, we will continue to focus on the needs of behavioral and mental health in our communities, particularly for our youth, whether that's investing in school-based health centers, providing access to the iMatters program, or just supporting families who may have a child who is struggling. That will continue to also be one of our priorities. Could you talk a little bit about who you're excited to collaborate with this session? Certainly, my partners on the Western Slope, and that is Democrats and Republicans alike. I am so impressed with the group that shows up here at the Capitol from the corners of our state that represent the beautiful mountain resort communities, as well as our agricultural communities in southwestern and northwestern Colorado. So Representative Velasco, Senator Roberts, Representative Lukens, Representative McLaughlin, and our Republican colleagues, Rep. Catlin, Senator Will, people show up here at the Capitol with a problem-solving approach that I think is really productive. Those of us from the western slope seem to 
you know, put people first over politics every day of the week. And I'm eager to get to work with them on the challenges that I see in my own home community in trying to do a better job for the people that we serve. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a mostly cloudy night tonight with a low around 25 degrees. Saturday should bring partly sunny skies with a high near 40 and a chance of evening snow showers. Snow is likely overnight on Saturday with minimal accumulations and a low in the mid-20s. Expect snow to remain Sunday and continue through Sunday night with a high near freezing and a low near 25. This has been the news for Friday, January 19th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.